We are starting a new series today on the book of Colossians, and we're calling this series Colossians, Life Reimagined Through Jesus. If you were with us last week, I introduced you to Paul by looking at his conversion. He went on to become one of the apostles and traveled the known world to preach the gospel and plant churches. Paul, in other words, was a missionary. And as we know through the book of Acts, which recounts his church planting journeys, he never went to the city of Colossae. However, he was in the nearby city of Ephesus for three years. And as a missionary, Paul would go to the place where philosophers, religious teachers, gurus, and and others would debate their respective views. And Paul would go and he would listen and learn and then speak about Jesus into that diverse climate. And now as Paul publicly taught Christ for three years in Ephesus, it is likely, and this is what most scholars think, that a traveler from Colossae, a man named Epaphras, came to faith in Jesus. And after learning more about the way of Jesus from Paul, Epaphras returned to Colossae to plant a church there. And as the Colossians heard about Jesus, others heard about their faith in God, about their love for one another, and their hope in God. In so many ways, this church is an example for other Christians to follow. And yet, while they came to faith, there were competing belief systems, competing stories for their imagination, their hearts, and thus their very lives. And some of those belief systems could be Jewish or Greek philosophy or mystery cults. And let me just say something quickly about each of those. On one hand, you would have the Jewish belief system which emphasized morals and religious behavior. On another hand, you had the traditional Greek philosophy which would emphasize the rational mind and your intellect. And then on the other hand, you had the Greco-Roman mystery cults which really emphasized personal spiritual experience. And so these young Christians, this young church, faced a challenge that we all know and feel today. They started to get bored with Jesus. They were getting bored with his design for life. So if you were a Jewish convert who came to Christianity, you were looking to return to your moralistic roots. If you were a philosopher, you wanted the intellectual stimulation, and so you sought to return to philosophy. And if you were a participant participant in one of the mystery cults, then you wanted the profound spiritual significance, uh, the profound spiritual experience that you had there. And that's the context that the Colossians are in. It's a mess. That's the context that Paul's writing to encourage them. But he's doing so in a way that he is telling an alternate story to capture, recapture their imaginations. The writer Ivan Illich said it, said this, Neither revolution nor reformation can ultimately change a society. Rather, you must tell a new powerful tale, one that is so persuasive that it sweeps away the old myths and becomes the preferred story. One that is so inclusive that it gathers all the bits of our past and our present into a coherent whole. One that even shines some light into our future so that we can take the next step. If you want to change a society, then you have to tell an alternate story. So let's turn our attention now to Colossians 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow, beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love and spirit. This is the word of the Lord. What is an item that totally changed your life? This is a question I asked on Facebook a few weeks ago, and the answers range from chapstick, and that has to be a story, to Dawn dish soap, to coffee, to laptops, to Nutella. And one man even said his wedding ring, and another man said his baby wipe, something that I can uh, be, appreciate more and more as a parent. But the man who said laptops and smartphones is onto something because it's really impressive that we can contain all of the knowledge in the world in this little device and hold it within our in our hands. And years ago, uh, there was a there's an ad campaign by Apple that truly evoked biblical imagery of Adam and Eve holding this apple. And uh, the person who designed this uh, in this ad called it referred to the apple of knowledge. And what they were, what that ad was saying is that the solution to all the world's problems is actually knowledge that is going to be curated by this company called Apple. And so I just want to make sure it's clear that the story that we are being told, that the way, the answer to our problems is through technology. But the truth is, we are learning more and more that smartphones can actually foster loneliness. It can create further disconnection. And so the reality is that this story is not an answer to our problems. It actually exacerbates and amplifies our problems as well. And Paul is writing a letter to this Colossian church where he is competing for their imaginations. He is fighting for them. And he is saying that the story that is really the answer to all of our human problems is the story of God. It is the story of Jesus Christ. And over the next nine weeks, we're going to be looking at how that is the case, that, how, that it is God's story that makes sense of the world. And today, as we come to this text, uh, we are seeing that Paul is introducing an alternate story. An alternate story. That's the title for today's uh, sermon. But the idea that I really want us to think about is this. If you believe this alternate story, this gospel, then your life will be defined by faith, love, and hope. If you believe this alternate story, then your life will be defined by faith, love, and hope. You see, God's word helps you understand your life. God's word also guides your life, and he is at work in your life in the world through the gospel. And today, I want us to consider two questions uh, in terms of an outline for us. The first question is this, what is the gospel? And the second question is, what do you see when the gospel is at work? So first, what is the gospel? Now, if you grew up in the church, then this is a word that is used all the time to the point that it's almost a cliche. 
And once over a year ago now, when Ironworks didn't have a weekly worship gathering, instead we had a weekly Bible study, we had about 20-some participants. And I asked these 20 people, what is the gospel? And I got 20 different answers. Now, perhaps that's in part to confusion about what the gospel is, but it's also, I suspect, because the gospel has many forms. So going back to my question, what is the gospel? Think of an answer to that question for yourself. What is the gospel? Perhaps some of you are thinking about the gospel in light of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. If that's you, then you're thinking that the gospel is about having everlasting life with Jesus Christ. Life with God, in fact, through Jesus. And you're right. Some of you, on the other hand, may be thinking about the gospel through the lens of Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. That's when Jesus said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. If so, then the gospel is the good news that God's reign has finally begun in and through Jesus. And you'd also be right. And perhaps some of you are thinking about my favorite verse, one of my favorite verses at least, Revelation 21, 5, when Jesus says, Behold, I'm making all things new. And that's in, that is when Jesus is renewing people and places and things to himself. And God is at work in the world to that end. And again, you'd be right. You see, Paul has the whole gospel in mind. He touches upon the good news of eternal life with God. That's the hope we see in verse 5. He sees the gospel as a public announcement of God's reign throughout the whole world in verse 6. The gospel is changing and renewing people's lives where they are very different people, where they are full of faith and love and hope. And what Paul is doing is that he's actually following Jesus' own example. He is using a well-known word from their own day. So going back to the question, what is the gospel? That's a word that we as Christians could understand, but it's actually a word that Romans would understand much more because it was a political word from their day and age. You see, when Caesar Augustus, who was the Roman emperor, uh, reigned, the gospel of Caesar was pronounced and it would celebrate every single uh, one of his birthdays. And the idea is like, this is the good news of having the, this Roman emperor as our leader. This is the good news. We are at peace and so forth. And so Jesus is using the word gospel to describe his life. And Paul follows suit. As Jesus' life marked a new era as the kingdom of God is here, God's reign began with Jesus' life. You see, Jesus, well, this is, what, this is what Paul's trying to say. Jesus is king, but he's not only king of just your life, but he's the king of the universe. That is the presentation that he has given, given throughout the entire book of Colossians. And this means that every single part of your life is changed by his reign. This includes your friendships, your family life, your marriage, your sexuality, your spending, your work, your play. It includes everything. In other words, the gospel is going to change every aspect of your life. Here's an illustration of that at work. John Perkins was it was born in Mississippi in 1930. His mother died of starvation during the Great Depression when he was a young boy. And later, when John was 16, his brother was shot, a victim of police brutality. 
And John's family feared that there would be further repercussions, so they moved to California. And he went through church meetings throughout his entire life, not to worship, but to socialize. And he met a woman who would go on to become his wife at one of these church gatherings. And while... And so while John did these things, he did not see the church or Christianity as relevant because he was all about getting ahead economically. He wanted to be successful and he wanted to have political solutions to his real political problems. And so he viewed the church and Christianity as a tool to keep blacks beneath whites. In his own words, this is how he put it. Religion had made them being black people, cowards and Uncle Toms. I was a Perkins and I wasn't like that at all. No way was I like that. So I did not see the black church as relevant to me and my needs. And I did not see white Christianity as meaningful either. To me, it was part of that whole system that helped dehumanize and destroy black people. So in other words, Christianity did not help him get ahead at all. In fact, it actually held him back. But 10 years later, in 1957, God began to show him something unimaginable through his young son, Spencer, and another friend. John began reading the Bible and was captivated by the Apostle Paul. And it was Paul who was arrested, imprisoned, and beaten. But why was he doing that? Why did he endure those things? It was because of Jesus and his love for Jesus. And one Sunday, John heard a sermon on Romans 6.23 which is the verse that goes like, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And John said this about these moments that I didn't want to sin, I didn't want to sin anymore. I wanted to give my life to Christ. Jesus would take care of my sin. I sensed the beginning of a whole new life, a new structure of life, a life that could fill that emptiness that I felt even on payday. See, John, uh, three years after that moment, after coming to faith in Jesus, returned to Mississippi to the place that his brother was shot. He and his wife started a day care center, but by the end of the 70s, they operated thrift stores, health clinics, a housing co-op, and a Bible school. You see, John gave his life to Jesus, but he also gave his life to see a multicultural, multi-ethnic church with white and black and native and Hispanic and Asians worshiping Jesus together. You see, Jesus completely, completely changed John's life. Before Jesus, John's life was all about getting ahead economically and politically. He couldn't care at well, he could not care less about the church. But afterwards, after Jesus, John's life was all about helping others, and he loved Jesus' vision for his church. You see, God's love for you changes your life. God's love is visible when you live within a story. And this brings us to our second question. What is it that you see because of the gospel? What is it that you see because of the gospel? Because the gospel is going to be visible in your life. And remember, this is a new young church that is full of people who are first coming to Jesus. They're coming to him for the very first time. And Paul sees the gospel going forward, bearing fruit in their lives and throughout the whole world. Bearing fruit is the biblical way of saying changed lives. In the parable of the sower, we learn that the kingdom of God comes first by listening to the word of God. And as you receive it in faith, you bear fruit. Your life is changed when you hear the gospel and receive it in faith. The signs of a changed life that are faith, love, and hope. 
If you want to see if God is working in your life, then you need to be examining your life for faith, love, and hope. And these are popular words, so I want to think briefly about each of them in turn so that we can properly understand what Paul is saying. First, faith is putting your trust in something. Imagine this. Say you are hiking on a new trail, and it's someplace you have not been before. How do you know where you are going? Well, you're trusting the markers. You're trusting your map. You're trusting the compass. And that's what faith is. Faith means looking to Jesus and trusting him and looking to him as the authority of your life. And so if you want to know if God is at work in your life, look for faith. Are you looking to Jesus to guide your life or are you fighting him? Are you resisting him? Secondly, love. It's not just any type of love. It's not just a feeling. It's actually deeper than that. It's love for people who are different from you. We live in a very divisive and tribal time. Uh, just go on Facebook and, and say that The Office is the worst TV show ever. And just, just wait and see how quickly people disagree with you. And the people who are going to be disagreeing with you are going to be people actually most like you in the entire world. And... The, what I'm trying to say here is that we live in a divisive time. Love does not come naturally to us. And the love specifically that Paul envisions is a love for people who are different from us. And what we see in, in the early church is that people are coming together into a new family that loves one another. And if you're looking for a sure sign of God at work in a particular place or in your own life, then you ought to see a love that is created out of nothing. You should see a love that extends to people different from you. So the last thing that we want to consider is hope. Biblically speaking, we don't use the English word for hope in the same way that Paul means it. Any one of us may say, I hope the sun comes out. I hope I got an A. I hope it stops raining. Well, if this is hope, it's just like a, a wish. And so when Paul uses the word hope, it's actually something you bet your life on. It's full of confidence. It's full of knowledge. It's grounded in history. It's grounded in reality. And it's full of expectation of what God is going to do. And so if you want to know if God is at work in your life, how hopeful are you? How confident are you that he is at work in your life or in the world? And so these three things, faith, hope, and love, are signposts of the gospel. You ought to tangibly see faith. You ought to tangibly see love. You ought to see hope. But perhaps you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, I struggle with faith and doubt, or I struggle with loving others, or I struggle with hope and cynicism. And what I want you to know is this, is if, that, if you are struggling with faith, that doesn't mean you don't have it. You're actually holding on to Jesus in faith. If you wrestle to love, that doesn't mean you're never loving. That actually means you're fighting to love. And if you're battling cynicism and holding on to hope, that means you're holding on to hope. The truth is that you cannot live within God's story on your own. You cannot grow in faith. You cannot grow in love. And you cannot grow in hope on your own energy and strength. You need help. And God intends for you to be helped by his family, by his children. And I want to return to the story of John Perkins. I left out a key moment. John came to hear the good news because of his son, Spencer. Spencer was attending a children's class at a local church, and just before dinner, he would come home sharing the scripture verses he was memorizing. 
and he would ask to pray before dinner. But John said, like, no, we don't pray. We, like, he's not getting this from us. But as his son Spencer was doing these things, uh, John was watching his son. And this is what he said. I watched our son. I could see something was de- developing in him that was beautiful, something I knew nothing about. I had no real experience of seeing Christi- Christianity at work like that in a person's life. At work in a way that is beautiful and good. You see, Spencer kept after him to go with him to his class. And because John loved him so much, he decided to go. Because Besides of that, he, Spencer's life was radiant. It was beautiful. And so John just wanted to go to figure out what they were teaching him down there. And they were teaching him the Bible. Friends, this, I want to conclude with this. The most credible way to show that life with God is something special is when we believe it, when our lives are defined by God's love and we give ourselves to that end, when we give ourselves to God's love. You see, when we live within God's story, when we live and uh, we truly inhabit, when we are inhabited by God himself and and the God of love, our lives are going to be changed and our lives are going to become signs that God is truly at work in this world. Let's pray.